Hello, and welcome to the Extension Experience Podcast with your hosts, Josh Bouchong, Trent Malachik, and Dana Zook. Here you'll find insights into Oklahoma agriculture from West Area Specialists employed by Oklahoma State University Extension. Their perspectives come from assisting county educators and producers in the areas of agronomy, animal science, and economics. Thank you for joining us. Welcome back. My name is Trent Malachik. I'm Dana Zook. And Josh Bashong. Today we're going to talk some about the lack of groceries, the lack of meat, the lack of product at supermarkets and some of the different things that the ag community has done or has seen occur to alleviate some of that. And I don't know, Josh, Dana, you guys were talking earlier about the fact that you you hadn't seen very much groceries whenever you've gone shopping. So you want to kind of talk about what, what is lacking or what isn't on the shelves? Uh, just going by the meat aisle is pretty clear where people are wanting to spend their money. If there is something left, it's going to be something that's going to be more premium products or uh, some of your grass-fed products as well. But just again, hamburger, steaks, even loins for chops or anything like that, it's pretty slim pickings most of the time lately. Yeah, I noticed just, you know, the lack of selection, you know, the different types are there and the prices have really risen at least for beef um and so i think people are you know that concerns them when they see that in the grocery store um the increase in price as well is just kind of the lack of um options i think that kind of gets them worried and so they i think they overbuy probably what they see because they don't know if it's going to be there yeah they tend to tend to stock the freezer to make sure they have product that they think they might need in the future and probably some product they might not usually purchase just because it is available. And some of the reasons for this backlog, you know, has to do with coronavirus and and the supply issues that that has caused. And uh, some of the some of the animals that we would typically have seen come to market were held back because prices weren't very high and producers were waiting on prices to recover to sell. So a lot of things go into how uh, this kind of backlog has gotten started. But what's even more interesting than that, we kind of probably could have predicted that that was going to happen. What I didn't predict was the uh, the demand for locally grown beef and, and locally produced beef. And kind of moving through what I've observed, looking at Facebook, looking at what people have actually uh, been requesting, it is interesting to see what kind of product people want. And you've got some of the typical grass-fed, uh, you know, either it's no antibiotics or, you know, however, in, insert your favorite tagline there mm-hmm. as to what type of special beef that, that people have been wanting in the past or have always gotten through locally uh, grown sources. Now it's just kind of whatever beef I can find. If there's a farmer willing to produce it, uh, people are interested in buying it. So, uh, Dana, do you want to move into talking about how a producer would kind of start going about finishing a steer? Uh, just let me let me paraphrase that, or not paraphrase, but kind of preface that with uh, just the standard producer, nothing special. I have a steer I would have normally sold. How do I finish him out? Absolutely. No, that's... Uh really good information. Um, So there's a lot of beef producers out there that have produced beef in the past, but haven't necessarily, 
you know, gone to local, had local customers. They've sold it conventionally, you know, at the sale barn and send it on down the road. But now there's this increased interest. And so um, some producers are just kind of wondering how they would go about doing that. Um, important to, before you jump into it, to think about your facilities um, that you currently have. Think about also your customers, your potential customers. Kind of, it's good to have an idea, you know, if you're going to sell the beef, um, what, who is your customer and what they desire. And so I say that, you know, just before I get into kind of all the other details, is this important if you want this to me kind of like an added income sort of resource that, you know, you know, how you're going to go about doing this and you have a plan and you've gone through some of the um, logistics and then figured out, you know, what the regulations and that sort of thing are. I mean, we'll probably cover that in a different um, uh, section as far as the regulations. But from an animal standpoint, so Trent mentioned the steer. Um, what we want to think about is, are we going to purchase this animal, the steer heifer? Um, or are we going to use a calf from our home herd? You know, each one of those um, are, you know, great options. You can do either one. Um, the thing in my mind is health. Uh, what it's good to have a good, healthy animal. Um, if you, uh, you know, purchase one, then you may not know the background on health. And so maybe have some sort of plan as far as how you're going to vaccinate and treat this animal to get them going. Um, um, get them off to a fresh start. But if you uh, raise the animal, you know the animal has, you know, the vaccinations that you have in your herd. And, and that's, uh, you know, a little bit more is known there. Um, it's probably, uh, it's probably um, not any, I think the cost, I don't know what you would say, Trent, but I think the cost is pretty much probably a wash when you look at all of it. It depends on, you know, the prices and everything like that. But um you know, it just depends on um, you'd have to look at your costs to see um, what would be, you know, more beneficial. And what costs are you talking about? Buying a steer? Buying or versus using your own. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it kind of comes back to a little bit what you know is worth a lot. Uh, knowing where that animal came from, how it was raised mm -hmm. is worth a lot. One thing that I think about if in my own herd, if I was going to go out and and finish one of these out is I don't really know that I have or what genetics I have for finishing a steer. I don't, yeah. It's a really good point. If you want to get into all of that, uh, most of my genetics or the genetics that I've paid attention to have to do with calving ease and birth weight. Mm -hmm. And beyond that, as a cow-calf producer that sells at weaning or there shortly after, I haven't really driven my herd down a direction of uh, grading out well. So from that standpoint, there's a lot of unknowns for me. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Um, um, observation there. So, yeah. So, um, that is a good, that's a good point as far as the genetics. Will they marble well? Will they yield well? The frame size on, on an animal like that. So, you know, genetics do play a big role. And so that's something to kind of consider. You may not be able to go to the sale barn and buy a calf and then know the genetics and know that it's good to, to feed out. We do know generally from a breed standpoint, there are breeds that are more efficient 
um, better marbling. So your beef breeds typically are, are okay, but there are, um, you know, some that are more beneficial than others. Of course, everybody's seen an Angus breed, you know, they, that's a big marketing, um, thing in the grocery store case, you know, Angus is really good. Um, so you typically people associate black with Angus and that's probably, that's probably a good assumption in this area that a lot of cattle have a, you know, Angus bloodlines. Um, some people like when I grew up, we finished, um, dairy steers. So Holstein steers. And so that's also a good option. People need to understand they're a little bit less efficient, but they do get really big. So, um, but the beef, the taste and everything is really great. So they'd be a little bit different taste than um, a conventional beef, you know, Angus type animal. And it all depends on how you feed them as well. That's usually the big misconception about dairy breeds though, is yeah, feed, they don't bring as much money because feedlots aren't as interested in feeding them because of the inefficiency in their feed program. But if you're feeding one out by yourself, it can be a great animal to, to at least practice on for sure. Yeah. Yeah. The T-bones on a, on a Holstein sear are enormous or heifer. We keep saying sears, but I think we probably all understand. And that, um, that sears and heifers can be used. Heifers a little bit less efficient as far as that goes. Um, so you can use either or, um, heifers probably have a little bit lay on a little bit more fat. Um, are a little smaller, a little less efficient um, at the end of the finishing period. Well, I almost argue sometimes more than genetics, often it's how you finish out that Absolutely. on grain has a big part of that marbling. So yeah, um, a lot of people do not realize the time it takes to finish a steer. And I've seen some posts on Facebook. It's like, I bought this 500 pound steer and he's got an August kill day. When, what should I feed him? And everyone on there is like, that's not enough time. That's no. <laughs> not nearly enough time. No. And you're not going to be happy with that product. Absolutely. That's a good, very good point. So if you're, if you have your own calves and you would like to use them, you may have a calf that's 500 pounds, but you need to remember, I mean, it takes even at three pounds a day to get to 1300 pounds. I mean, that's quite a time period. Yeah. Quite a bit of time. You got to think about how big a 1,300-pound carcass really is because that's going to, or a 1,300-pound animal. Yeah. And then you grade out, what, 60% or yeah, so? Yeah, 60, is about 60 what to you're 65, yeah. So you got to have, if you're going to sell this animal, either you're going to store it at the meat locker mm -hmm. and hope people come pick it up quick because they will charge storage if you don't come pick up Absolutely. your animal. Mm -hmm. Or they'll just tell you, you have to come get it and you have to store it somewhere. So marketing it can... Yeah, you know, time is of the essence of all as always with it comes to be. Absolutely. So, you know, we not going to get real deep into that, but, you know, you think about are you going to sell sell the animal to the person? You take it to the to the uh, small packer or the um, processor. Um, are you selling them that side of beef? Are you selling them individual steaks? Are you selling them roast? So those are two different, really different um, avenues for a person to go down. And so. We won't cover that today, but those are just some different trains of thought to think about. Um, so like Josh said, the nutrition, you know, how the animal is finished. Um, there's a variety of wants and needs by our customers. Um, some people like grass fed beef. Some people like, you know, a, an all natural animal. Are they grass fed grain finished? You know, there's a lot of different ways that you can market it and a lot of different ways that can be done. Um, so tip well, meat, meat science is kind of an interesting, uh, caveat there. 
just sorry to interrupt you. No, but, no, great. Go but, ahead. But uh, as in Ag Econ, we've done some surveys on consumer preference. And one of the most interesting ones I always uh, looked back to was whenever people were interviewed about what type of meat they wanted to buy. Looking in the meat case, they would typically pick the leanest cuts, the less fat, because mm-hmm. we've been driven like less fat's healthy, lean's healthy. Mm-hmm. So when they looked at a piece of meat and it didn't have much marbling, they thought that was the better beef. But in a blind taste test, of course, the highly marbled beef was the one that they said tasted better. Uh, if you want to go into that at all. No, but. absolutely. No, that's a, those are lots of really good studies. And and some of us, maybe as students got to participate in some of those like um, blind taste testing, you know, selection. I've done that when I was at University of Nebraska. And it is interesting how our consumer sometimes doesn't understand that fat, intramuscular fat in a, in a steak really adds to flavor. But some people like your customer, um, that intramuscular fat, they may not, um, understand what that means. Um, and they may desire, you know, the grass fed that doesn't have a lot of that intramuscular fat. Um, so intramuscular fat is mat fat within the muscle. I guess I didn't cover that. And then cattle also lay on fat around the carcass as well. So that's not as efficient fat. It's just trim when it gets to the packer. So if you're feeding a calf a long, long time, um, at a certain point, in that calf's life close to the end of the feeding period, they're probably putting on mostly fat and not a lot of muscle. So that's why you want to target that end date so well. So, you know, try to target it pretty precisely because, you know, everything you feed them is going towards that out outer fat that will be trimmed off um, at the packer. I don't know if this fits into your example incredibly well, but just driving down a new avenue here if i purchased an 800 pound steer or i have one that that i've raised Mm -hmm. and i want to start the feeding process nutritionally what should i start feeding and can we kind of get to the end there what my end date would probably be okay yeah so um nutritionally like in my mind the dana mindset um when we're when we're thinking about finishing a calf six to nine hundred to a thousand pounds kind of that area that's a growing phase um, and then when you get, you know, 900 to a thousand pounds, they need to go on kind of a finishing higher, um, ration. So if that gives you an idea, so our 800 pound steer is about to that finishing ration standpoint, they, um, you need to find a place where you can find some feed, um, a good local feed source. Um, what I always tell producers is energy is important. Um, uh, very important in a finishing animal, though protein is important too. We need to have an end goal of about 13 to 14% protein in a ration. Um, and we use the base of the ration is corn. Okay. That is the cheapest, but highest energy ingredient that we have in this area, though other areas of the United States might be a little bit different, but in this area, corn is, um, that option. And then we fulfill, you know, it, corn is 9% protein. So if we need an end goal of about 13 to 14% protein in a diet, um, we fulfill that deficiency there with a variety of other products that we could have. So soybean meal is a good high protein ingredient. Soybean meal, and then you you could do an ethanol byproduct, um, such as distiller's grains. Um, it's not as available right now, but you know that may change in the future. Corn gluten feed is another kind of wet milling byproduct. Mids. Wheat mids is an option. Um, and then soybean holes are some of the things that I would include in a ration. Um, so the feed is so important. 
Um, and then forage as well. You know, you need a good palatable forage source, although um, this might be one time that I say it's not as important to be high quality. It just needs to be palatable. We don't want, you know, really poor, but it just needs to be a good um, palatable uh, scratch factor is what I would call for that um, rumen of that animal. So if I'm a producer that's trying to do this and I have maybe two or three calves in a tiny pen, some of those uh, ingredients may not be readily available to mm -hmm. me if I have to take a, you know, a semi load or something of that. I'm never going to feed all of that. Right. If I needed some kind of a different higher protein source, could I look at something like a 38% cube to fill some of that? Yeah. So that's an option. The one thing we think about um, in a ration is we think when we look at it is it's got to be kind of cohesive as far as the size. We don't want cattle to sort um, sort ingredients out of a ration. We want them to take the entire ration and eat it so it's balanced. If you have a 38% cube and mix it with some corn, visually think about what that looks like in the bunk. It's an option. You can do it, but it might be good if you could get smaller maybe a smaller pellet or something like that. I would encourage people to look for some local, you know, um, retailers and ask them, Hey, can I get this in a different form? Is this offered in a different way? As far as a feed, you know, if you need a, a higher protein feed or what other ingredients and you have, it doesn't have to be a conventional kind of the things I was talking about, but, um, yeah. So, um, you know, you can fulfill that ration as a variety of ways. Alfalfa, you can add that to the diet to kind of make up for some of that um, that protein. But remember, that could cause some bloat um, and that sort of thing. So, Trent, just kind of comparing things here, not maybe necessarily for sale, but maybe for your own family use. Kind of compared to like growing your own vegetable garden. It's more of a label or a love than economically feasible sometimes. Yeah. Would you kind of compare that to finishing out your own steer? Well, it depends on your your skill level at it uh, and how much luck you have, I guess I would say. You know, one of the big efficiencies of the feedlot setting is large numbers, um, bulk feed, feeding a lot of cattle at one time, and, and getting uh, reduced input costs. Because those input costs are going to eat you alive if you're buying retail, uh, just in sacks. And I think that's something that people really ought to be and that's kind of what I was alluding mm -hmm. to earlier yeah. with Dana when I was talking about different sources. Yeah, you, know, you you can probably get a thirty eight percent cube in a three eighths format, a Maybe. smaller cube if you order it. You mm -hmm. have to order a whole pallet or something, and you may not get it right away. But if and you talk about buying bagged corn, well, that's marked up mostly for deer hunters <laughs> in, in recent years. So you can't, you know, a bushel of corn is much cheaper than a bag of corn, but. You know, you run into some issues finding corn locally. You know, you got you got to be checking it for aflatoxin and things like that because mm -hmm. they, you know, bulk corn isn't necessarily being sold as food grade for cattle. Mm -hmm. So you got to think about some of those things. But yes, you're generally if you're talking about five or less finishing steers, your costs are going to be rather high. And luckily, there's consumers out there that value that. They value that uh, product coming from a local source. So. It's just something that you have to kind of think about. You have to have the money up front to buy the feed and, and you can't give up at any point in this process. You're talking about how many pounds of feed a day for these animals? I mean, we you could get up at the end of the finishing period, you know, 
two and a half percent of body weight. So 30 to 35 pounds of feet. I mean, yeah, it, it is. That's a really great point, Josh. It is pretty, it can be pretty expensive. Something to think about. Um, even when with increased beef prices, it may not necessarily be cheaper to do it yourself. Yeah. You're talking about buying pallets of feet at a time, mm-hmm. not just five or six bags every week. You know, you're, you're burning through this feed very quickly. And that's what it takes to make a high quality product. But it kind of starts to make sense whenever you think about what stuff sells for in small packages in the grocery stores to why that that product is so high because of the amount of feed that you're actually putting through. A lot of us are just used to putting out hay and a cow surviving. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. and this finishing phase is so much different than that. It's a completely different uh, way of looking at that animal and its nutritional requirements. So, you know, I've looked at some studies and when using bulk ingredients as, as cheap as a small producer could get them, yeah, it, it is more expensive than buying meat in the in the meat locker. But, yeah, they kind of break it down by cuts and there's, you probably get more value feeding out your own steer in terms of higher quality cuts. If you do it right, again, that's there's a lot of mm-hmm. things that go into that. If you can finish out that steer in the same way that they finish it out in the feedlot and get good marbling and good cuts of beef and have it grayed out choice or above, you know, in, in some instances you can go ahead and, and make a little bit more money there because there's the, the, the product changed hands less, I guess is at the end of the yeah. day, the product, there isn't as many people taking their piece of the pie out of that product before it gets to the grocery store. So there's an opportunity to get some higher end cuts there, but generally, eh, no, it's not going yeah. to be cheaper. And then from the, the consumer way. side, I think some guys kind of got shocked if they're not only having to store a half or a quarter of beef, the price of it. They don't really mentally prepare for how much they spend on meat each year. Oh, yeah. So all that money up front is kind of shocking to some folks, too. Yeah, you're talking about serving sizes of a quarter pound per person. You think about how much beef per day you eat and how many days a year you eat beef and you kind of pay for all of that up once at one time. It's kind of amazing. Uh, the, the hunters in the group will completely understand that because by the time you buy all your equipment and everything to to harvest a deer we know that the deer really doesn't necessarily make us money (laughs) (laughs) that's a good that's really a good analogy to all this is it's really i mean that's exactly the same unless unless we paid for the hunting lease the deer ate for free (laughs) (laughs) so so kind of getting into all that well the one other thing that i would you know, make producers understand is, is I don't know if, if they go out to try to get a date at their local processor, likely it will be, if today they have a steer or a heifer that they're going to finish out, they may not be able to get into one of those places for a year. If you've never talked to someone, you know, never talked to your local processor, which there are so few in Oklahoma. Um, and I think around the country, there's less people, you know, butchering um, animals like that. And so um, keep that in mind because the popularity of that recently has really went through the roof. And I think that has really pinched some of the small processors in the area. Good for them as far as business, of course. Um, but there's just not as many of those people doing that these days. We're trying to do right by the animal when it's ready to harvest. We we need to have a date in mind to, to do that. So, yeah. Kind of think about that ahead of time. And I'm sure we'll have more to talk about in the future on this topic. It's a vast, uh, very complicated topic. I'll say that. And uh, it, it's very fun to kind of get into the details of it. It's a little more complicated than some people give it credit for, I think. Yeah. But but that's kind of all the time we have today. Uh, Dana, Josh, any last comments on this topic? 
No, I think uh, just what just make sure you have a plan set in motion. Um, understand, like Josh said, you know, the costs that are involved. Uh, it's probably more costly than you would expect. And so just just having a plan, looking into the things before you kind of jump headfirst into it. Yep. All righty. Well, thanks for joining us and we'll catch you next time. We hope you've enjoyed what you've heard. If you would like to hear more or follow up on the topics discussed, please reach out to your local county extension agent. OSU has a presence in all 77 counties with educators eager to assist you. Also, please consider checking the description for links to our social media pages and further information pertinent to the conversation. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon.